0: Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash dialogues for more information. Listen! Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, founder of The Naked Voice, and this is our new online community where we are exploring, deepening and evolving our awareness of the transforming power of compassion. Enjoy these new dialogues with a wide range of artists, musicians, writers and philosophers, social entrepreneurs and sacred activists. They are all visionaries, transforming lives through the art of conscious creative expression with practices inspired by their own unique life experience. The Voce Dialogues are dedicated to the compassionate evolution of life on Earth. Welcome everyone to another session of the Voce Dialogues, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to Anna Lois Smitson, very dear friend and multifaceted human being. And I'm so looking forward to our dialogue together. Big welcome to you, Anna Lois.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you.
0: So, everyone, just in case you may not know Anna Lewis yet, you are in for such a treat. Anna Lewis is founder and CEO of Earthwise Centre. She's a visionary scientist, published author, futurist, system architect, and global catalyst. She holds a Master's Degree in Law and Judicial Political Sciences from Leiden University. And Lois, you are the author of the Amazon bestseller, Love Letters from Mother Earth, The Promise of a New Beginning. Goodness, do we need to hear that. And your forthcoming book series, The Future Humans, with Dr. Jean Houston. Anna-Lewis, you are passionate about empowering people in developing our future capacities and creating the architecture for an evolutionary civilization. You're the lead architect of the Earthwise Tipping Point system. You're a powerful teacher of evolutionary leadership and transformational change, and your unique programs have empowered thousands of people and organizations from around the world You're also the member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle and that you have a wonderful website, theearthwisecenter.org. So where do we begin? You are also an extraordinary mother. We were just talking about that as well and how this extraordinary, unprecedented time impacted your time with your children too. I just wanted to bring that in because your book, The Love Letters from Mother Earth, The Promise of a New Beginning, I would imagine it must be inspired by your own relationship as an actual mother of two extraordinary children.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And that's true. I very often have that uh, mother perspective to many of the things that I do. That's yeah. very true. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Al Lewis, as you know, this is the Virtue Dialogues Voices of Compassionate Evolution. And this is a, a theme that is so integral to your life. And I would just love to simply start by asking you, what is compassion and how has compassion shown up in your life?
1: Mm. Well, first of all, I mean, I love I love what it is so much that I almost don't want to put it into words because it's just so full. It's for me, it's the, the blood that flows through my life. Mm. Um, it's what makes our world fertile. It's what makes you go deeper and deeper into your humanity and stretch out as far as you can to do whatever you can and to be who we are for creating a world that works for everyone, where everyone can thrive. And so for me, it's my go-to anchor, really, what connects me with the cosmos. It's like I feel it's how the cosmos puts its anchor in my heart <laughs> oh, to so, yeah, help me understand how how do I prioritize what decisions do I make? It's my compass. So how it shows up for me in my life, mm-hmm. um, is I see it as an essential part of my nature uh, and everyone's nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it needs to be cultivated, and it's probably the modern perspective. Again, it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be nurtured. Yeah. It's not enough to just say it. Yeah, we need to live it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and keep it alive. Keep it alive in our That's... relationships and everything we do.
0: Yeah. And when would you say this? understanding really started kicking in for you in your own personal life how did you end up really leading this extraordinary life I mean a pioneering life and you founded this huge organization the Earthwise Center and I've been lucky Mm -hmm. enough to collaborate with you in the tipping point evolution as well and now here you are writing a book with Gene Houston I mean you're you're cooking a lot of A lot of different foods at once. (laughs) (laughs) Is it possible to look back at your earliest inspiration for this journey?
1: How it started for you? I think for me, it started from my relationship with nature, with the animals. I grew up in a small village in the Netherlands Mm. and we were close to farms. I thought humans were rather complicated beings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and quite confused beings that mm. kind of say things differently from how they feel them. Um, but when I would go out to the farms and I play with the goats and the dogs and the cows and the horses, it was very simple. The language and the communication was very direct. Mm. And it's from there that I felt the first uh, compassion. Uh, I really, I, I received that compassion from nature. I suppose the contrast in the human world where I felt that um, it's not obvious for humans hmm. that then um, led me to to go deeper and to see how is the world without it and how is the world with it. Yeah, then it became very clear that it's a flame of love that I feel that it's been given, but we need to maintain it and that I see this as our responsibility as human beings is to be a steward for that flame Mm-hmm. And that means showing up to it every day. Yes, and also I, I have, you know, beautiful parents as well. Um, who love me very much. So also their love, of course, has cultivated that. Mm-hmm. But I it started that early in life and um just carried carried that through and then as you know, I suppose most people there are moments when you feel it goes or it's diminished. And for me when I felt that that the compassion is less it's like um, the colors become uh, very dull, mm. even in my dreams. And then it showed me, no, no, that's not, that's not how life is meant to be. So let's turn that up again. <laughs> and then everything becomes alive. And uh, yeah, that's
0: beautiful. Goodness me. I'm just remembering as you're talking, meeting you on that famous yes. bus journey. <laughs> <laughs> from Athens to Delphi, That's for the, right. for the now academy and and just having this instant connection with you, I mean just very yes. aware of your groundedness uh, of your connection with Mother Nature of your embodiment of the great mother, but you know I'm just also aware you i mean you definitely are the balance of the left and the right brain is quite extraordinary, I mean you are clearly a visionary scientist because you speak with such feminine warmth and depth and insight and intuition and yet here you are having produced a master's degree in law and judicial political sciences the balance of your of the of your thinking and that being an essential component of compassion uh yes. you know between the left and the right brain the masculine and the feminine dimension of of human behavior and so on is so important isn't it
1: Mm, thank you. And I owe that to Bach. <laughs>
0: ah, say more about that. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, when I, <laughs> I started playing the piano when I was eight years old, uh-huh. my favorite composer was Bach. But the funny thing then is, I actually couldn't read the notes, but I had this wonderful gift of being able to hear the music and, and being able to memorize it straight away because I saw the structure of Bach. Uh-huh. So the first years i would play Bach all the time and my teachers didn't realize that i hadn't been able to read a note <laughs> until they put me in an exam and asked me can you start about there and i went i can't read the notes but how do you play Bach then i said yeah well but you can't you see it it's one structure you know you have the, the, the structure and then you can just improvise and almost make it look like Bach so it's from Bach i feel by playing this again and again and again and Bach also, uh, you have to play with both hands, so you have the melody both in the left hand and in the right hand, yeah. which is very different, you know, like with Mozart or with Chopin, which is much more dominant for your right hand. So with Bach, yeah, I feel that it had such a huge impact on how my own brain developed, because I was constantly stimulating both sides of my, wow. of my brain and my being, yeah. and uh, playing those harmonics. <laughs>
0: That is a fantastic metaphor for what we're talking about. There you've got the marriage of, of mathematics and music, haven't you? So, so That's it. That's, yes. it. That's yeah. it. That's where it is. Exactly. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: And the healing That's relationship true. with that and the understanding of phi and the understanding of the connection between the
1: That's bio-circuitry
0: right. of the universe and, and That's how that sounds. The cosmic
1: architecture. Yes. It's the cosmic architecture as sound, as harmonics, as music. And then, from there, as meaning, understanding, culture call, call for action and oh, as a world,
0: oh, that makes a lot of sense that really does, I totally get that, and that's where we're we're very connected as well, because I for yes. myself as I wish we'd been living in the same town because I was spent a lot of time in our little music room just playing that piano like there's no tomorrow it speaks and it sounds like it spoke to you also yes with a language that we weren't accessing from anywhere else certainly in our education system I don't know how that was for you but
1: same as what you're describing I didn't get it there I didn't feel the nourishment but Mm -hmm. that's why for me the developing the musical ear the musical language when that's develops within you it, it becomes an approach to everything else in life
0: right oh that's gorgeous that's really beautiful and did that follow you through your teenage years and then
1: into- yes yes wow. yeah I wanted to become a pianist so I was studying a lot when I was 18 years old I got a scholarship to go to Trinity uh, College of Music but then decided not to with John Bingham um, who passed away many years ago then I met a lot of the, uh, the musicians. Uh, in fact, I met them at the bar in Edinburgh, <laughs> and I saw that most of them were unhappy. <laughs> I said, okay, maybe I need to rethink this. <laughs> <Perhaps> <laughs> it's not <laughs> about being on stage, but it's about taking that love for music further and uh, ask myself, as you know, how would Bach or Mozart or others, how would they be composing our world? If they were alive today and they were to be uh, architects of the new world, by those harmonics, how would that look like? So I took that kind of core, core interest further in all the other things that I developed through my life.
0: Incredible! And was there any who was around you at that time that was encouraging that, or was it just literally happening for you? Um,
1: almost everyone was discouraging me. <laughs> yeah. So, because they were all saying, "Well, you can't make money with, um, you know, being a pianist. And don't throw your life away." And I had uh, also been elected by the European Youth Parliament, so I had kind of a taste for what it means to be a young diplomat. So people had very different ideas of what I should be doing. But what happens is when I was playing, I felt transported through time. So it started to give me this understanding what it means to live in those Renaissance periods. And we are in another Renaissance period now. Right,
0: right. Oh my goodness. This is ringing so many bells for me because there's a similar trains of life experience as well coming up. I can hear that desire for me of of being in India, you know, wanting to translate the understanding or the direct experience of non-duality in musical terms, almost like the other way. So you were going from the music into translating that into this extraordinary life that's unfolding. And for myself, it was coming more from The non-duality, what I was picking up there from the mathematics of non-duality, if you like, into a Western understanding of what music education could be, bringing forth everything that it wasn't. I'm interested in what you're saying, that, that we were educated to hear music and to present music and to express music as performance, which is what creates Suffering For so many people, because if that's the focus, then you've got to impress people all the time. And it's all about that. And it's all about competition and rewards. For the same reason, I totally resonate with what you're saying and left that kind of approach as well. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So the music was bubbling inside you, but it sounds like you were just generating and activating and listening out for and evolving a new language of consciousness.
1: That's it. Precisely. Right. Because this is where I felt so strong what it means to be alive right. between two major eras. Yeah. So to be alive in the in the great turning of times, right. in the deepest transformation, and it's from there that I wanted to understand transformational change. And this is when I spent um, I went to Australia, learned a lot about the indigenous people there. Spent many years in in retreat as well in meditation, to understand. Would do we need to become as the required people of this time, um, to be alive to that, to truly really bring the cosmos into being.
0: To say more about that, what was going on then? Which which indigenous worlds were you in there in Australia? Lovely to hear. Um,
1: yeah, very very varied actually, Australian Aborigines, but also mm-hmm. Tibetan Buddhism. I was going every Sunday to the Tibetan temple and I was learning about the Heart Sutra wisdom. And compassionate action. <laughs> so we're talking about compassion before, and that I found very interesting because through those um, Buddhist studies and Insurgent teachings as well, gave me a lot of insight about also the structure of the mind and also the more kind of fundamental nature of reality. Um, so this kind of my early cosmological interest also came from that. But then to the street and Aboriginal wisdom, I learn to apply that then in the caretaking to be a good caretaker a good steward what it means to be a custodian of wisdom so it was really that that balanced understanding on the one hand understanding the nature of my mind and the nature of the phenomena in our world, and how to to peel off peel off to that fundamental ground of reality and then at the same time go further in into the earth into our care into our humanity so there's a it's almost like having two movements. On the one hand, you kind of go deeper inside yourself and at the same time, from that compassion, then you go deeper back into the world to apply that now.
0: So to integrate the human and the spirit, the, the universal cosmic dimension.
1: Yes. Of yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Embody it, embody it, because I found in many of the um, spiritual traditions that were quite dominant and even in many of the meditation practices, there's too much of an emphasis is always on transcending, going up, something like wanting to reach the top of the pyramid. And from, a, again, a woman perspective, for me, it was going the other way around. It was, you know, even our womb is shaped in the opposite direction. It's 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 not a pyramid. It's a, it's a vessel. It's a chalice. And so for me, it was about incarnating, incarnating the cosmos, becoming its embodiment for that. And, uh, and that then further evolved as what are the systems that truly embody that, that cosmic wisdom. Amazing. And
0: so did you spend time with the Aborigines as well? What an incredible, incredibly rich combination of those two cultures.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, spent time with them as well. Yeah, that, that was a very, very rich time. also delve deeper into the Indian wisdom systems as well. Mm-hmm. And the Vedic teachings and the Upanishads. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt almost like um, having a, a taste of so many of our incredible Western traditions, but then looking for the patterns that connect and seeing that you know all of them were exploring something really essential about it, what it means to be human. And when you bring that all together, then that's very rich. Fantastic.
0: I love that. And of course, you implicit within that you have... The mantric systems of as you yes say, the heart sutra mm-hmm.
1: exactly exactly mm. exactly and yeah. in the mantra system what I find fascinating is that you go to the very subtle and the mm. more subtle you go the more you go geometric as well and the more in some ways you go mathematical too mm. and then through my cosmological studies later so that the same kind of subtlety we see in the nature of the universe itself where you have almost like the cosmological and the quantum understanding. Um and yeah and then all the way into the grosser areas of reality and so yeah how to make that transition and in the in the mantric understanding you understand that to go from very subtle very the geometrical laws all the way into the, the diversity and the richness and the blossoming of it all Oh, That's incredible.
0: I mean, I'm aware of what you're speaking about because of the incredible maps that I've seen you uh, create for the benefit of everyone that's collaborating with you in the Tipping Point Centre and uh, right. uh, Earthwise Centre and so on. You have an extraordinary clarity of vision of how the, the Atman and the Brahman and the individual and the cosmic are interconnected.
1: That's
0: it. It's exquisite. It's absolutely exquisite. I just really hope everybody will go and just take a look at those maps, because they are so helpful in just helping all of us to, you know, just to feel our place within that, within the order of the universe, Mm. within this evolving new future reality. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's it. Maybe that's what's so exciting about this time, is that we, and it's funny about humans, it's almost like we always have to almost lose it all in order to value it, but it's, it's like the last 2,000 years... So many people have been focusing on how to transcend this world mm-hmm. <laughs> and go into another world that's not earthly. And and now, as as we have pushed our world to the brink of destruction, mm. we now need to go the other way, in the other direction. and And really to see how to work with the cosmological and the natural wisdom to create these beautiful fertile worlds. And yes. um, to see the innate spirituality in matter itself. So to have a completely different understanding about what matter actually is. What is matter? That, and, and what matters. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What matters. What, it what matters. matters
0: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> our relationship with it and our conscious relationship with it, right?
1: Well, exactly. And in the old dualistic world views, what we and even scientifically where you see these dualisms. People were thinking that energy and matter are different and and then even space and time. And Mm. now more and more cosmologists are having this view that consciousness is primary, so the primacy of consciousness, Mm. and that from that consciousness as a cosmic hologram is also an informational system, it's living information Mm. that is fractal. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is completely whole and unified, and that that same information then expresses itself as energy, matter and space, time. And that at no point when this information becomes energy or matter or energy matter as a constellation, does it lose its cosmic information. There's nothing where consciousness is not. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. consciousness and its qualities are intrinsic within everything and even within the very structure of matter itself so then we could see if we that way look at matter then matter is, is the embodiment of how consciousness embodies itself and how consciousness has the capacity to localize how to come from the universal all the way into the local and from the local all the way into the universal and that there is never any time the time that it's not that
0: yeah so why do we forget what is all this forgetting And and even unconsciousness itself is not the absence of consciousness
1: exactly? Exactly.
0: It's so, just a veiling, is it? It's a kind of veiling of consciousness of in people
1: and forced, forced disconnection. You know, children. When we seeing when children are born and in their first weeks and months of um, development, mm. and in our know, features this also in the PhD dissertation it's all interconnected. There, I mean, the whole sensory capacity is mm. a potential. Is there? It's just that. Children then later in the educational systems are taught to fragment. They are taught to divide. They are taught to pull things apart, but not to see the underlying patterns. And so I think it's a lot to do with, we are almost like teaching people to see out of wholeness, (laughs) which is a bizarre thing that we're doing, because indeed, as you said, the wholeness always remains. The unity always remains. Consciousness always remains. Just that we are in the way of looking, in a way of behaving, acting as if it's not whole and unified
0: aha got you absolutely so in the light of which your book love letters from mother earth the promise of a new beginning what i love about that book is the way in which you you set out the patterns and the structures yes. in, and and you restore them that's that's, that's my experience of that book so that people can understand what we've just forgotten we've we we haven't lost it we just have been conditioned not to see it not to know
1: it precisely because if we're looking also in the brain itself so in in the book it takes you into the underworld and that the underworlds and the seven gates are really the lower part of our brain so it's nothing scary and what we think is unconscious it's just that it's just you know under the dominant areas of our brain but we when we establish a relationship with this again all the information is there it was never not there (laughs) it's a part of us too And yes, and that we, um, in indigenous societies, this was seen to be the head of the serpent. And so the head of the serpent is is your brainstem. Ah. It's the seat of consciousness, you see, that generates the delta wave patterns um, that then are used for the rest of the brain to process information of a higher order of complexity. So, wow. Yes. I mean that's yeah.
0: such a metaphor, isn't it, for so many universal yes. creation stories. That's incredible. I just love the way you describe that there and taking it more into a more scientific and vibrational understanding of it. That we can understand, you know, within and beyond a religious interpretation of it. That's yes. that's just fantastic. This must lead into your connection with Jean, Houston. Mm.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> in our Future Humans uh, upcoming book in, in book series. Yes, right. I mean, she's amazing. She's of course a whole pioneer of the whole human potential movement and a visionary in her own ways, adapted daughter of Margaret Mead. and She's been consistently for so many decades um, been in that question of how do we create a world that works for everyone? And see, you know, her question for herself is also okay for a possible world you need possible people so what do we need to to do and and how do we need to change the educational system to make it sensory rich to truly develop the full human potential with also this understanding of our cosmological nature and then she shifted that to the focus of uh, okay we don't have time anymore to be just possible humans we have to become the real quiet humans of this time <laughs> mm-hmm. it's high time while we're out of here and uh, yeah so <laughs> yeah. so
0: the future humans this book say more about that where yes. how's that evolving how's that cooking
1: oh it's, it's wonderful and uh, we're hoping that um, it will be published and ready to share with the world probably around the european springtime or northern hemisphere springtime we brought all this kind of rich scientific understanding and cosmological understanding and mythic understanding in the form of of a novel that people can relate to with with characters that the characters although are made up they're all based on things that we've experienced ourselves and um, it starts with a young woman at the age of 25 her name is rose who almost dies after she got very ill with covid while she's going through this kind of near-death experience in hospital, she suddenly sees the larger vision of of her own life but also the cosmos and she gets a second chance she makes a new choice that changes everything and discovers then the power of choice in that process and how to heal herself and it becomes a metaphor also for the so the future human choices is to how to be born from a new cycle of time um a new creative cycle that is based on a deep understanding of our unity with the universe. And she goes through this metamorphic transformation of the caterpillar and the butterfly. So she goes into the hospital as a caterpillar, confused what's happening. Her body is dying and collapsing, but then discovers her butterfly uh, potential. Mm -hmm. And through being in that vision of her her butterfly potential, her future human potential, Mm -hmm. uh, then starts to understand what is safe to let go, what is safe to let die and surrenders to that transformation and discovers then how to support the world also in that same way with the help of her grandmother, Ferdandi, who is an indigenous woman living in Iceland, um, part Sami, part Morse, um, and well-versed in the mythologies and knows how to guide people through the deep initiations. And her grandmother helps her really to integrate her experience and to, as you would say, make it useful for the world. Oh my
0: goodness this is incredible and it's, it's i mean it's also offering a it sounds from what you're describing I'm I'm getting a sense of the power of the compassion that exists within us or exists within this human being rose
1: this is uh, it
0: to, that's
1: it
0: to navigate also to dispel the fear of death uh it sounds like and also to perceive a new reality in which death is possibly even an illusion and therefore, our relationship with illness, with the loss of life or with the loss of old life is so often what prevents us from entering the new life. And it sounds like you're offering us an opportunity to really know and to be able to embody and to be confident that in this transition into the new life, into the future life.
1: And you said that so beautifully. And indeed, it's a compassionate relationship and also with the virus. So in roses and also exploring you know that the virus he says he was trained as a biologist he said hey but viruses are not bad they are evolutionary agents and and maybe we are reacting to the virus all wrong so we're weaponizing the virus by our dualistic reactions to it but what if we befriend it? what if we change our relationship so it learns with us and we learned how to become a, a synergy together and help each other
0: Oh, I love it! It sounds—it's absolute music to my ears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, wait, you read it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the first. I'll send it to.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's—it's it's incredible. Just knowing you as I do, you know how some friendships—and I certainly feel like this one—is—is is a very old, new, but yes. very, you know, very old friendship as well. And it, it's absolutely delicious just to hear how these different life themes have informed and and are transforming your own embodiment of compassion as well which is incredible Mm. you know and then you have these two gorgeous children in the next room you were firmly on the ground (laughs) that's right (laughs) they must be very inspiring for them to know that they've got this story coming towards them as well uh, yes
1: they ask me every day mama when is it ready now <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> <It's finished.
0: laughs> oh, i, I can always become part of the story
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right
0: <laughs> oh and lewis well there's so much more to share and i and i just thank you so much uh, and for sharing your remarkable and very unique and very original life I'm just really looking forward to entering this new cycle of life that we're all on the threshold of. And, oh, yes. Uh, yes, together. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. to do it together and to make a place for that new life. When I've always seen is when in hardships, but also in so in death and whether the cosmos comes towards us with increased emotional powers, emotional energies. Yeah? So it's almost like the immune system of the, of the universe for a new life and if we see that and that make becomes our focused, then oh. we see what's actually coming through right now, what's being born within us and through us in our world and to make a place for that in our own life, in our hearts, within our relationships, in our house, where come it.
0: Wow. Goodness, you cover so much ground in one sentence. It's just incredible. Because I'm thinking you're talking about now, you're highlighting the whole theme of immunity, what that really, really means and how that is yes. truly accessed and what exactly. its purpose actually is, rather than the virus being the enemy, as you say.
1: You know, it's- Precisely. Precisely. The real immunity is never about attack or fight. Right. It's, it's never about that. It's, it's about the the ushering in new sets of relationships okay. that's true true health <laughs>
0: yeah oh my goodness well every blessing and and fulfillment and uh i'm just so glad we can just carry on having these conversations together
1: thank you so much thank, thank you thank you so much and for this amazing conversation and our deep uh, friendship and sisterhood and for being on the journey together
0: yes to that yes to that yes Look forward to the next conversation. (laughs)
1: Same here, yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Much gratitude.